baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and we're going to get something started with this episode that's going to take five parts and is going to march us through Braves spring training as we get to know the guys who are in camp as this is the audio version, the companion, if you will, for my Braves positional preview series, which you can find over at fromthediamond.com. I broke it down in five parts, did the starting rotation, the bullpen, the catchers, the infielders, and the outfielders. And Corey McCartney and I are going to go through all of those positions and break down some of the big things to look for in camp, some of the positional battles, and how some things might shake out as far as who's in the rotation, who's going to make those last few bullpen spots, how the lineup's going to look, all of the things that you could imagine that you want to figure out in spring training. We're going to walk through those in this series. As always, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. So subscribe there and keep those ratings and reviews coming. Definitely appreciate those. On social media, you can find the show on Twitter at from the diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And on Instagram, find the show at from the diamond, no underscore on the end. And I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. As I mentioned over at fromthediamond.com, not only can you find every episode of the show, but you can also find that Braves positional preview series. We've got all five parts up there, starting pitchers, bullpen, catchers, infielders, and outfielders. And you can find that all at FromTheDiamond.com. And without further ado, we're going to get this Braves positional preview series started out with the way that we typically think of starters, if you will, because we think of the starting rotation when that term is used most often. And my starter for this entire series, all five parts of it, of course, is Corey McCartney. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. You can find him at Corey J. McCartney, and he is the author as well of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout, which is going to have an updated version of the book coming out on March 3rd. You can get that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. Corey, great to have you. I know you're a busy man. You've obviously got a big book project going on, but appreciate you making some time to talk about the 2020 Atlanta Braves. You got it, Grant. And hey, you know, we start with the starters here because this is in Tampa. Yes, that's how we do it. We don't have an opener here. All we thought we've got some starting pitchers, but we'll get to the bullpen. We'll get to the catchers, the infield, the outfield. It's a five-part series I've been doing for a while, going back to 2013, but one of the things, Corey, that a lot of folks had kind of asked for was, is there an audio companion, if you will, for this? Because it's a lot easier to listen to on your commute than it is to try to read it on your phone while you're driving. So I figured we'd give the people what they asked for. Well, I hope they're not let down that it's not literally you reading the <laughs> positional previews and it's us actually talking about the I don't want to let anybody down when they've been, they've been pining for this. Yeah, well, maybe they can find that version on Audible. I'll look into that after we get this thing wrapped up. But I, I thought a there conversation might be a little bit more fun because baseball is a sport that's all about conversation. And, of course, you and I have had a lot of those about the Atlanta Braves over the years. So great to have you on board. And I figure we'll just jump into this thing with the starting rotation, which has taken a lot of shapes and forms over the past few years. And you expect that when a team goes through a rebuild and – really decided that young pitching was going to be the foundation of that rebuild. And we've seen now the crown jewel of the Braves rebuilding effort, their draft effort that they had going so heavy on pitchers for a number of years. And the guy who really stepped to the front of the line was Mike Soroka. Corey, how impressed were you having seen Mike Soroka come up through the minor leagues and having gotten to know him a little bit, but with what he did at the big league level last year, how impressed were you with Mike Soroka? I mean, the guy was fantastic, right? I mean, it, just the, the composure, I, I think, was the biggest thing with him. And what I thought was so fantastic about his year was that they needed that, right? I mean, we saw from you know a positional standpoint, we saw, saw Ronald Cunha Jr. come up and, and you know become one of the, the top you know, five, ten players, I guess, MLB Network says 11th 
best player uh, in baseball, uh, you know, but to have him and Ozzie Albies come up and from a positional standpoint, have the fruits of that farm system establish themselves. They needed the pitching version of that. And I think that's why last year was so big for Mike Soroka. When you talk about the Braves and their young core, obviously Ronald Acuna and Ozzie Albies are going to jump to the front of the line because of who they are and the fact that they've both got long-term extensions going on. But for Mike Soroka, I think there was always this hope that he was going to mature and grow into being a starting pitcher that the Braves were going to be able to rely on for a number of years. But as you pointed out, I mean, it was it was kind of a breakout season for Mike Soroka in his first full year in the big leagues. And just how good was this guy? Well, he was 13-4, and four, an ERA below three. He got some Cy Young consideration by the end of the year, and he was historically good on the road. I've talked to Mike a little bit last year, and I don't think that anybody really was able to pinpoint the difference between Mike Soroka pitching at what was SunTrust Park and now Truist Park or what was going on when he was pitching on the road. But the ERA was pretty vastly different between the two. But that is kind of a historically, I would say, a little bit at least unreliable stat when it comes to sizing up a pitcher. You don't want to hang your hat on ERA and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, I will tell you, I've heard some some talk about mounds. You know, maybe mm-hmm. that you know maybe this SunTrust Park mound isn't playing exactly the way you know, or now Truist Park isn't playing the way that some of these guys have liked. Uh, you know, I've actually heard that you know there's the guys really like the 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 mound in Miami. Uh, you know, and then there was hopes that maybe they would tailor the one here in, in Atlanta to that. But um, you know, say what you want about you know whether that factors in. You know, certainly you know they hit a lot more opportunities on that one at Truist Park. Uh, but, you know, again, Soroka was fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I wrote about this for Talking Chop last week and just about the projections for him for 2020, I find fascinating. You know, there's some speculations. I think Steamer, you know, has him regressing a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, buying into the fact that the, the K rate isn't exactly high. And, you know, he got a, you know, the luxury of a, of a really low BABIP last season. But, uh, you know, the guy just has such pinpoint control. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get hard contact against him. And, again, I mentioned the composure. I think when you when you consider a young pitcher and, and having that guy be, you know, your foundational piece for a rotation, it's hard to find a guy with a better makeup, better skill set than Mike Soroka has. It really is. And let me lean a little bit on the article I put together. If you haven't seen these, from the diamond.com, it's a five-part series, starting pitchers, relievers, catchers infield and outfield and i've tried to write up just about each and every player that was in camp at least a little bit of something and in some cases a lot of something for some of these guys and mike soroka was one that i did a pretty fair amount of research on but i mean last year he posted according to fangrass a four war season his 268 Mm -hmm. era was one of the best in baseball as far as qualified starters were concerned uh his fielding independent pitching was just under three and a half and his xfip was just over 3.8 so not too terribly far away but you know these are numbers that are going to be a little bit different from pitcher to pitcher depending on how it is that they throw but the great ground ball rate for Soroka of course is a big thing for him he's not afraid of you know getting guys to hit the ball on the ground put it in play he limits home runs and in the season of 2019 when we were talking about home runs at a just a historic rate Mike Soroka was not allowing very many home runs 0.7 homers per nine innings led all qualified starters in Major League Baseball And he also, among qualified starters, with just 14 home runs allowed, that was, of course, tops among all starters in all of Major League Baseball. So this is a guy that, I mean, if you're getting the ball hit on the ground and you're able to use a defense that Atlanta's been trying to tailor the last few years to really be another part of what makes this club so good, it would seem that Mike Soroka is kind of tailor-made to play for a team like the Braves and to pitch every fifth day and have some pretty good results. I mean, you mentioned it there with the, the ground ball, right? I mean, this is, you know, this is a guy who he generates contact. I mean, it, you know, if you go back last year, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, stat cast and, you know, what there was, uh, I think nine uh, pitchers who had, uh, you know, an average, uh, you know, fewer percentage of balls, you know, you, you gotta always couch everything with stat cast, the fewest percentage of uh, barrel uh, percentage of balls barrel per plate appearance. Uh, against him so you know this is a guy who you it's difficult to generate uh quality contact against him that's mike soroka's game it's it's get dribblers into those infielders limit home runs i mean even if those home run rate goes up a tad this year i just think the fact that he gets such weak contact it's hard to imagine him you know not posting uh or flirting with a four if not five or season again this year i definitely agree with that and i think his strikeout rate is going to rise as he continues to refine his own game because mike's never been a guy that chased strikeouts 
But I think that, I mean, we're talking about a kid that's 22 years old who hasn't necessarily really fully physically matured. And we've seen Mike Soroka really, you know, putting in that work. I mean, he is a big, well-put-together pitcher that you have to feel like, you know, I know he had the shoulder scare last year, and, of course, a little bit of that was tied to the workouts that had him get a late start in 2019. But I think he may have learned some valuable lessons there in terms of how far he pushes himself and how he pushes himself. But, you know, these are guys that we forget sometimes. When you're that age, you're still kind of learning your body as you're really growing into you know, going from an, a teenager, an adolescent, uh, into being a, a young man and obviously getting into your 20s where you're going to be a full-grown man, which Mike Soroka most certainly is, I think, at this point. I wonder, you know, just the Cole Hamill's impact on him because, sure. you know, obviously having Keiko there last year, you know, World Series winner and, you know, guy who uh, himself, you know, draws a lot of ground balls. I think Hamill, to me, profiles a little bit more like Soroka. So I think it's it, it's going to be interesting to see when, he is there, and when he does finally get on the mound for this Braves team, uh, what impact he has uh, on a guy like Mike Soroka. Yeah, I think that can be said not only for Mike Soroka, but the next guy up we want to talk about, yep. that, of course, is left-hander Max Freed. 26 years of age is Max, and to say that he really uh, did some serious work for the Braves when they needed it most last season would be a bit of an understatement because not only was Atlanta's bullpen in flux over the first couple of months, but they're starting rotation also. I mean, keep in mind, Cal Wright and Bryce Wilson both – started the season in the Braves rotation and did not last through middle of April. I think a starter to a piece. And the next thing you know, they're back down in Gwinnett and Max Freed jumped into rotation. He went on a great run early on uh, and on his way to a 17-win season, a guy that was racking up about a strikeout per frame. Uh, his ERA tipped just above four, but it's a little bit higher in his case than his fielding independent pitching was. And his expected fielding independent pitching was even lower than that. It was down at the 3-3 area. So, all in all, I mean, I'm looking at what Max Fried is doing, and sometimes the numbers don't tell the whole story. So a four ERA for him really was not indicative of the kind of baseball that he was pitching. And, Corey, I want to throw one of the greatest stats that I found in doing all of this at you. Would you believe that Max Fried actually had a slightly higher ground ball rate than Mike Soroka? <laughs> I would not believe that. Uh, you know, think about how great he was in April. I mean, you know, flirting with a no-hitter. Uh, you know, it just, I mean, a one, three, eight ERA before his last start that month. I mean, you, if you wanted to see him throw a bunch of pitches, you saw him go over a hundred against uh, the Indians, uh, there on April 20th. I mean, he was just unbelievable. Uh, you know, ran into a, a few problems later on in the year, but, um, he would, he just looks so good mm -hmm. at times and just so smooth. And, you know, you just want to see it over a longer stretch. I think that's the thing you can say with, with Freed right now is we've seen it in glimpses. You know, and you can say, okay, we've seen him yanked back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen. Uh, but it's clear now where the path is for free, yeah. and let's just hope consistency uh, can become a little bit bigger part of his game. Let's throw a few numbers out there for Max Free. Told you he won 17 games. That was just one off of the National League lead. Of course, Steven Strasburg won 18. And was also the most by a Brave starting pitcher since Tim Hudson won 17 back in 2010. Yeah. So we'd gone about a decade since we'd seen somebody rack up that many wins. And for a left-hander, you had to go all the way back to Tom Glavin in 2002 to find the last Southpaw in a Braves uniform that won 17 or more games. And with his dynamic curveball and the fact that I think Freed really can amp it up when he needs to, and we saw that out of the bullpen, I think, in the National League Division Series as well, but it might surprise some folks to know that when you look at the strikeout rate in the National League, you look at the leaders among qualified starters, he is just behind Clayton Kershaw and just ahead of Noah Syndergaard. So when you talk about strikeouts, this is a guy that, I mean, it's legit, nine and a half almost per nine innings. That would tell me that Max Fried's missing plenty of bats, which makes me feel pretty good about his projectability as a member of the Braves rotation going forward. So he had six outings last year with eight or more Ks, and five of them were from August on. Mm -hmm. So when you want to talk about, you know, innings and quality innings and innings when the, the heat is on and it's humid, I mean, those were – and, you know, well, what, four of those were in Atlanta. So, I mean, it, it, we saw him have that workhorse mentality and, and, and get those Ks late in the season. So that's that's something I think you – especially for a younger guy when we talk about – and we we had this conversation with him many times, him and Soroka last yeah. year. Okay, what's the plan for innings? How wh At what point are they going to cap you guys? When are they going to scale back a little bit? And to have him going deep into games and, and racking up Ks in, in August and September, I think that was uh, that was that was big for for him without question. Most certainly. Not only was it the strikeouts that he was racking up, but the fact that Max was really able to dial back the walks, which had been something that would plague him at times in the minor leagues. But 
uh, staff high, 3.7 Ks to walks last year. And also just two and a half, just over two and a half walks per nine last year. Those are both top 20 finishes in the National League among qualified starters. So again, just kind of going back to paint the larger picture of not only was Max Fried one of the Braves' best starting pitchers, but he was one of the better starting pitchers in the National League last year in his first chance at really getting a starting role and being allowed to run with it for a while. So I'm very excited to see what he's able to do this year. You mentioned Cole Hamels coming in, and I think Max Fried's already talked about this upon reporting the spring training. This was obviously a guy that he looked at, watched, and studied, and probably fashioned himself after in a bunch of different ways. And the similarities are, I think, pretty obvious. When you talk about left-handers that have had success, have a great curveball, maybe working on having a great changeup as well, these are things that Max Fried might be able to glean by being around a guy like Cole Hamels. Yeah, without question. And, and certainly you know, he needs to, he needs to have a, a really strong, complete season. I mean, I, I didn't think, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't think, and I don't want to get too much into Cole Hamels right now, but I didn't think they had to do this again this year when you consider the depth mm-hmm. of pitching that they had in the, in the organization. Uh, but I understand why you do it. I understand when you still, you know, you still want that kind of standard bear for uh, these younger guys. And, um, you know, I think Soroka's found his place and, you know, Freed, I, I, you mentioned the totality of the season last year, but I think there's still certain little things. I mean, he didn't fall in love with the curveball this last year as much as it felt like he did in the past. Um, but I think just having that guy like Hamels there is going to be big for him too. Yeah, for sure. Before we move on to Cole Hamels, who obviously has a postseason pedigree as a guy that's won some MVP awards, both in the National League Championship Series and the World Series as well, and uh, a very uh, well-respected left-hander who spent about a decade and a half uh, being one of the better Southpaws in all of baseball, not just Max Fried and Mike Soroka in terms of what they can learn from Cole Hamels, but also where he could fit in as they round out a potential playoff rotation. And I'll kind of throw this out there now. A lot of talk uh, last year, of course, about Mike Soroka only getting one start in the National League Division Series. So let me just preface it by saying I totally understand, especially in hindsight, how frustrating that is, knowing how good Mike had been all year and how good he was in his one start. But I also know there was a reason they went out and signed Dallas Keuchel. So I kind of understood Keuchel getting that game one start, Soroka starting the first game on the road. But I don't think we're going to see anything similar to that when it comes to a potential playoff rotation in 2020. And I also think that Max Fried will be a factor in the playoff rotation in 2020. How do you think that that shakes out? As I know, we're putting the cart before the horse here right now, but why not? (laughs) Well, you know, at the same time, I don't want to hear about home road splits when it comes to a guy that you know, in Soroka, when you're, when you're, are, are we debating whether or not this guy has the stuff of an ace? Oh, for sure. You know, I think that that shouldn't have even been part of the conversation in my mind last year. I mean, if you want this guy to, to prove that he's a big game pitcher for you and come up in big game situations and you put him in big game opportunities. So yeah, I, I think those two in particular, you know, the, we, we don't know, and I hate to go back to one inning. But we don't know what we get from Fulton Evich. We don't. It's a roll of the dice sometimes, and I think to be able to yeah. know what you have, and we'll uh, get to Freed and Soroka. I mean, that's you have to you have to lean on those guys, and I think there's there, we will see that happen. Uh, should they another postseason uh, opportunity be there for this team? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. If they stay on the track that they were on in 2019 and are able to replicate that success again in 2020, as the Braves rotation is currently comprised. I could see a scenario where it is number one starter Mike Soroka, but perhaps number two starter Max Freed, and then you start figuring out where Fulton Evich and Hamels and perhaps some of the others will fit in. So let's turn the page, so to speak, and get into Cole Hamels, who, of course, is kind of the disappointment, I guess, of Braves camp early on, not because of anything in particular that he's not doing on the mound, but the fact that he's tweaked his shoulder in an offseason workout and he's going to begin the season on the injured list. We'll get to that in just a moment, but let me just get, again, I guess your impressions. You kind of hinted at this already about Cole Hamels joining the Atlanta Braves rotation. This a thumbs-up move for you or or one that you mentioned a little bit earlier that maybe you weren't sure they needed to go this route again? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'd say thumbs-up or thumbs-down. I mean, if I can put it in the middle, I mean, I know that's sure. kind of <laughs> kind of taking the easy way out. But, yeah, but we may um, find yeah, out, I, of course. Yeah, I mean, I guess I felt like when you think about the money, you think about the single, the the biggest single season contract doled out for a starting pitcher in Braves mm-hmm. history. Right. This didn't feel like the guy that you did that for. I mean, if you, if we do this, you know, in 2011, 2012, 13, when he's a, you know, nearly five war pitcher for three straight seasons, 
it feels like something different. I just yeah. don't know what you're, what exactly you're getting out of him that you couldn't have had if you would have brought Keiko back or even dare say kept Julio Tehran. I, I mean, for that, I mean, think about the option year they had on Julio Tehran. Would it have been a major sh- shift in expectations to have brought Tehran back for what was the option? Twelve million on yeah. him, or spend another six? for one year of Cole Hamels. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that to me, that's why at the time it felt like, why is this happening? Because this isn't the same guy anymore. And, you know, from that end, I didn't, I didn't truly understand it. When we think about Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, Bryce Wilson, that you can't cobble together enough for one spot in a rotation to feel like you have to go out and spend $18 million on a fading veteran. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, and obviously Cole Hamill's best years have, have already occurred as far as his career is concerned. And it was an oblique injury last year that derailed what otherwise was a pretty good looking season for him. He didn't look comfortable at all. Didn't pitch very well after coming back from that. But I think that with Julio, especially, and, and not to get off on a, you know, a complete wild goose chase, so to speak, but I think we kind of knew what Julio Tehran was and had kind of discovered what Julio Tehran was not. And I don't know if there was kind of a, a factor of, well, we've already tried that, so let's do something different. Uh, but also with Hamels, I can understand wanting to have some kind of proven commodity that was bringing experience that was different than what they had in-house over the last few years. And you mentioned you know, being able to get Cole Hamels at this price when he was a five-war pitcher, but you know, the fact of the matter is he just wasn't available at that time unless you wanted to trade a bunch to get him, and the Braves weren't in a position to go trade for eight starting pitchers at that time. And I guess what, as I look at Cole Hamels and the signing of that, I kind of see it as kind of the same thing as Dallas Keuchel was because Keuchel got prorated basically what would have amounted to about $18 million for a season of pitching, just one season. The short-term aspect of this is something I think Alex Anthopoulos has liked a lot in terms of not blocking some of the names you mentioned long-term. However, as I look at what Cole Hamels is right now and then the worry about the shoulder – I can see some very early and and quite earnest kind of second guessing of where exactly the Braves are going to be with this, but we're going to have to let this thing kind of play out and find out. But uh, I guess overall, do you feel like Cole Hamels is a guy that slots in at the number two spot in the rotation, or do you think he's kind of the three or four, depending on what they do with Max Fried and I guess Mike Fultonevich, who we'll get to momentarily? I would put him four. I mean, I think at this point, I mean, look, I know you can say the first half last year he had a 285 uh, weighted on base average against. Mm-hmm. You know he he obviously ran into issues at a 298 ERA in the first half last year. The oblique was a problem as you mentioned in the second half. The ERA floated with a six ERA. The you know weighted on base average was almost 400. Yeah. Um, you know I, I, to me I just I don't know and then you know the obviously the shoulder issue is concerning and I and I know it's not from throwing and I, and you can say just like with Soroka last year right. that it wasn't a baseball related injury but it's still an an older guy who's dealing with uh, you know something that could linger that it's going to have I don't know that we're going to hear we're not going to hear a peep the remainder of the season and have nothing but good health for Cole Hamels knowing that this has already happened yeah I mean and, it, it would be lovely and it's easy and it's easy to say okay you can say that because we've already seen an injury before yeah. camp even started but it's still to me like uh, here we go well the time frame for Cole Hamels is to give him about 3 weeks before they start easing him into activities this spring and Alex Anthopoulos told reporters upon Braves pitchers and catchers reporting on Wednesday February the 12th that they do expect Cole Hamels just based on the time he's going to miss to open the season on the injured list but how long he stays down and has to deal with that, uh, we'll kind of find out as things go. And, of course, with how Cole Hamels is feeling. But he should be in Braves camp, and they hope that he'll be able to get some baseball activities going in the uh, couple of weeks uh, after position players have reported. So uh, the not-too-distant future, if you will. But Cole Hamels is going to factor into the Braves rotation, they hope, in a way that will be able to bring some of that uh, veteran savvy that he most certainly has uh, built up over the course of his career Still last year, even with a bad second half, you know, his wins above replacement, according to fan graphs, was two and a half. So it was still a pretty good season, and I would dare say as good or better than anything they could have gotten from Tehran. But as you brought up, the sticker price a little bit different as well. And if for nothing else, Corey, by declining the option and Julio Tehran signing elsewhere, we aren't going to see Julio Tehran start on opening day for the Braves <laughs> for the first time in, what, six years? There's still time. 
There is time, but I don't expect that to be a move that they're <laughs> going to make. I don't think it's going to happen. And, and, you know, the next guy we're going to talk about, he seemed destined to have gotten that start yeah. last year before injury derailed him. Um, I think Soroka has to be your odds-on favorite to get it at this point. I haven't really gone and lined things up, though. Yeah. I haven't gone to say to, and looked at the, the schedule and thought, okay, they're opening up on the West Coast. I think Soroka is going to get that opening day start against the uh you know against the diamondbacks so who gets to start at home i haven't necessarily figured that out at this point um but um I, yeah the odds on favorite has to be the has to be soroka yeah well i mean you got back-to-back road series to open the season as the braves open against the arizona diamondbacks and the san diego padres before coming home to play their the home opener so not exactly the traditional opening series and and i guess um even road trip that we've seen in recent years because the fact that they're going to be out west in the desert and then of course hit san diego as well so it'll be a little bit interesting but i'm with you i expect mike soroka to be the guy that's going to get that call but mike fulton was that guy that came to spring training last year off an all-star season a career year for him and ended up dealing with the residual effects of having a bone spur in his elbow uh, missed a lot of playing time in spring training wasn't able to go to the post on opening day. And then it just kind of seemed to be a series of unfortunate events for Mike fulton in the first half that he did not have a reliable slider whatsoever. Velocity was kind of all over the place. I mean, it was not down too far, but it wasn't in the normal area where we were used to seeing Mike fulton But he answered a lot of questions in the second half with the way that he finished the year when he came back from Gwinnett, became a much more attacking style of pitcher, and let's be fair. I mean, I know Mike fulton was the guy on the mound when the Braves got beat by the St. Louis Cardinals in that disastrous game five. But if we're looking at the overall, you know, totality of that series, there should have never been a game five. And Mike fulton more than did his part with game two when he stifled the Cardinals and beat Jack Flaherty and evened up that series as well. So it was, I think that was a microcosm, really a faulty season. There was some bad and there was some good and it was mixed together. And as you said a little bit earlier, you don't always know exactly what you're going to get there. So you and I have had this conversation many times, and it was a fair one at points, you know, asking him, okay, well, can you control your emotions now? Yeah. Are we to the point where that's not a storyline anymore? And then, you know, the thing I, th- I go back to last year with is, you know, I remember, you know, we were at camp, and he get lost his arbitration hearing, and he was so upset and so confused to the process, not understanding why Alex Anthopoulos was not sitting in the room with him and that they had sent a lawyer. And, you know, Alex was like, I don't, I I don't go to these things. We send a representative. That's just the way it works. And I feel like he was so, I think that honestly, I think that derailed the start of the season for him. I think he was so mad at that whole process and not just be that him or his representation, not explaining to him how the entire process works. But then yeah. you think about the setback and then rushing back and, you know, he wasn't the same and he ends up, you know, spending extended time in Gwinnett to get himself right. It, it just felt like everything just spiraled out of control for him. And I, I thought it was huge, not only for him just to get it together and come back up, but to have you thinking in the postseason, okay, this is this team's best option to be on the mound in a elimination game. Yeah. Um, that that spoke a ton, I think, to to him last year. And, and whether you want to talk about it being maturity, to me, it was just a guy who, you know, just found his groove again. And, yeah. and I think after the All Star season he had, uh, we still need to see that for the duration of an entire season. But he was so good in eighteen, just you know, to to, to hope that that's there again for him. You know, just in, in having dealt dealt with him for so many years, I mean, you just hope that this guy can finally put it together for extended periods. Yeah, and I do think it's something that he'll be able to do. And it just it really depends on the health, number one. I and mean, if you're not confident mm-hmm. in what you're doing as a pitcher, which clearly Mike fulton was concerned at the very least, consciously and I think subconsciously, in how his elbow was feeling and what exactly his body was telling him. And if you can't just you know grip it and rip it when it comes to going out there on the mound and being able to throw without that concern – that's going to be at least, at the very least, a mental, if not physical, roadblock for you that you're going to have to clear at some point. Now, Mike did not have a surgical procedure over the offseason to deal with that bone spur. It's something a lot of pitchers don't want to do because I think there's been at least some research that when you start going in and messing with things like that, it might increase the likelihood of Tommy John surgery. I don't know if you'd read that. That's something that I had come across, and I am mm. obviously not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV, but it's something that I had heard about why guys would be a little bit, uh, have some hesitation about going down that road and having an elbow surgery that they don't have to have. 
I guess is the best way to put it. But uh, kind of putting a bow on things for Fulton Evich, uh, with what we saw in 2018, you had to feel really good about the guy that was coming back in 2019. Arbitration hearing aside, uh, the struggles aside, he really, in the second half, I think at least rebuilt himself, so to speak, uh, both in his numbers and also, I think, maybe mentally to where he felt like his game was back where he wanted it. And then, you know, you have that final chapter against the St. Louis Cardinals where I, mean, I was of the opinion that he might have been tipping. At some point, the Cardinals seemed to know a little bit about what was going and maybe it's facing the same team twice in the same series, uh, whatever it is. But it also seemed to be any luck that was had by the Braves in that first inning was of the bad variety as well. So uh, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. And for Mike, 23 pitches in his final start, and it left him feeling, in his own words, embarrassed about how that start went. And I think he can use that for motivation to get himself back out there and just hit the ground running in 2020 and kind of pick up where he left off with his great starting game two and also a very encouraging second half in his final 10 starts. So I had many conversations last year at this at this point saying, okay, I think Fulton Nevis is an extension candidate. And, you know, I felt like that was a conversation that maybe needed to be had. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously last year, that's not getting off, you know, leaving camp with everybody else and, and you know, finding taking so long to get himself uh, back to the dominant pitcher we saw in 18. He needs to have a, a, a strong season to carry over from that second half of last year. Yeah. Um, you know, because you, know, you talk about not getting that procedure done. You can say, I mean, a, a guy who has stability in a contract may be more willing to get that procedure done. So, um, you know, I think just just from the end of what, who is Mike Fulton Evich in the Braves system, the pecking order, whatever you want to call it. I want to see, I want to see a consistent 2020 from him without question. Yeah, I can understand that. And I know that's something Mike is looking for, obviously himself. And if he's able to get off to that hot start, I think you'll start seeing that ball rolling, that momentum, if you will, of getting himself back to more of what we saw in 2018. And who knows, as far as extensions are concerned, and we'll just kind of see which Mike Fulton Evich shows up. And if he's the guy that, I think started to learn a lot of valuable lessons in 2018 and 2019. You know, he's one of those that a lot of people talk about what his emotions are and how you can really tell from the body language and so on and so forth. I think you can to an extent, but I, I do think that Mike has learned a lot about himself the last couple of years. And I think that there is a great amount to be learned and players. I think will tell you this more times than not the worst seasons that they have or the most challenging seasons they have. That's where they learn some big lessons that can equip them to have more success in the future. So we'll see if that works out for Mike Fultonevich in 2020. So we've run through the first four guys that we feel like are going to be the mainstays in the Braves rotation. But, Corey, as you know, there are an awful lot of guys in camp that are looking for that fifth spot in the rotation, and one of those is Sean Newcomb, who had some success in the bullpen last year. It's a place I think he could have success on a long-term basis if that's what the Braves wanted or perhaps what he wants or both. But I also feel like maybe everything has not been written about Sean Newcomb, the starter. How do you size up his chances coming to camp looking for that fifth spot? I mean, I think with Cole Hamels, uh, you know, this just accentuates the possibility that I think we're going to see him make that rotation uh, break in camp. Um, but, you know, I think he was he was right there anyway. I mean, you know, it's funny when you think about flirting with a no-hitter the day that Chipper Jones goes into the Hall of Fame mm -hmm. and then the aftermath of that and having to answer for, you know, social media posts that he had, you know, had from years before and, you know, whether or not that impacted him, um, it, you know, it, it just felt like he never had that same high again. And I, I, I loved it last year that he was ticked off when he came back from being demoted and felt like he was somebody that was on a mission because he's he's got all the physical tools. I mean, this he's got the frame, he's got the stuff. Um, it's just whether or not, you know, you talk about walking batters with Freed. I mean, that's been his, it was his bugaboo for a long time. It wasn't as much of an issue for him out of the bullpen. And, um, you know, I, I think to have that kind of a weapon, if he can find it, it's just that that's the thing with him, right? I mean, it's, it's, I, we talk yeah. about consistency nonstop with starting pitchers, but we know it's all there for Sean Newcomb. And I, I feel like he's got to be right there uh, feeling like he's got the leg up in any competition to leave camp with a spot in this rotation. Well, let's look at the numbers for him as well. Newcomb, and I mentioned earlier what the Braves rotation was dealing with in 2019. And one of the things that might have kind of been forgotten was not just Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson being demoted to AAA early on, but 
Sean Newcomb was also demoted to AAA early on. And when he came back, you know, he was in the bullpen for the rest of the season. So the Braves had to change a lot. And the emergence, of course, of Mike Soroka and Max Fried was ideally, that, those were the big answers right there. But think about this rotation. Early on last season, with Mike Fultonevich on the injured list, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, Sean Newcomb all out of the rotation. And then you bring in Mike Soroka and Max Fried to help carry that load. And it worked out pretty well. And I think that the Braves come to camp, I would imagine, a little bit more confident about those four spots right now. But for Newcomb in particular, they just didn't seem to be an ideal time to put him back in rotation last year, especially once he started to show some flashes of being, I think, potentially a guy that you could really lean on out of the bullpen. But he was 12-9 and in 2018 with a 390 ERA. You mentioned the near-no-hitter against the Dodgers, and he was only allowed a handful of starts in 2019 and then he was down in Gwinnett trying to figure things out. But 51 relief appearances, which is not a small sample size, and opponents hit just 215 against him in his 53 and a third innings of relief. I feel like that that tells me everything I need to know about his ability to miss bats and also limit the damage, if you will, out of the bullpen. But can he do that You know, every fifth day for, let's just ballpark it, six innings more times than not? And that's kind of been, I think, the bugaboo for Sean Newcomb has been Will he be able to get through six innings because of the walks? Because I think that's the one thing that we always talk about with Sean. If he's able to control, what can he do? But if he does not, we kind of know what's going to happen. Well, you wonder too now if the makeup of this bullpen allows you. So, you know, we oh, it think does. about it does. You know, a bullpen Yeah, that this dominant or this deep. You can have somebody who, you know, you don't have to go that. And if, if you've got Soroka, Freed, and Fulte are, you know, doing their part, you know, to, to have long outings. I mean, they take so much pressure off of Newcomb. And if he can only get you through five, then you've got a bullpen that can, you don't want to do that every time. Obviously, no, no, but, of course not. You know, certainly you have the, the luxury uh, of, of allowing him more time because, you know, he's, he's stretched out. He got stretched out this off season. So um, he wants this, you know, this is where, this is what he, where he wants to be uh, in terms of his role with this team. Um, but they're, they're built to withstand uh, some, a time period that they didn't have last year with how deep that bullpen is. Yeah, it's a very complete bullpen, as you mentioned, the depth and also the ability to have this many veteran pitchers, especially with closers experience. You feel a lot better about the group that's coming to camp that's going to be asked to cover those late innings. But you hit a very interesting point there, and it's one that I've talked to a lot of people around baseball the last few years, really. Do you see that trend where starting pitchers are going to be asked to go a little bit further in games? And I'm not saying that, oh, all of a sudden guys need to complete eight or ten games every year, that I don't think we're going to see anytime soon. But guys throwing seven or eight innings and allowing you to not overtax that bullpen, if you've got Soroka and Freed and perhaps Fultonevich and uh, you know at least three of your starting pitchers doing that on a regular basis, you're really putting that bullpen in a pretty good space more times than not to have some success and not feel like it's overtaxed and you're having to stay away from a couple of guys. And again, the depth is also a big key in that. But I am fascinated to see where Sean Newcomb ends up as he does have the opportunity to get stretched back out to start again. But I'm also fascinated with how much competition there is for this fifth spot in the rotation. And there's one name, a non-roster invitee, that has perhaps the biggest name of any Braves pitcher in camp. And I don't think it's a perhaps. I think he does. And that, of course, (laughs) is Felix Hernandez. And when I see the images and the videos rolling in at the start of spring training, when I get the chance to get around the team and kind of get that you know, uh, vibe of, of who's here and what's going on. Pretty darn cool to see King Felix in a Braves uniform, but this is not the same guy he was even you know, three, four, five years ago, but he's a guy who comes to camp with an awful lot to prove and was very quick to point out that I'm not old. I'm only 33, but uh, what, if anything, is our expectation of Felix Hernandez this spring? I hope he is willing to reinvent himself. I mean, you know, certainly you think about Annabelle Sanchez and that's mm-hmm. an easy comp, right? Yeah, I mean, you yeah, think absolutely. about Sanchez yeah. as a guy who, you know, used to be somebody who could, you know, have a pretty dominant fastball. And, and certainly there was a point where, you know, when you look at, you know, weighted fastball runs above average where, you know, Felix was sitting around 20.9 in his most dominant season. Which is nuts. Um, you know, I mean, it's nuts. And But last year, I mean, it was minus 15.7, mm-hmm. minus 20.4 the year before that. I hope he's willing to reinvent himself in Braves camp, and maybe he couldn't do that in Seattle. You know, maybe the the legacy of King Felix stops you from being able to 
just have the the luxury or the the freedom to to completely try something different. But the changeup is just so good. The curveball is so good. I mean, those pitches have been incredibly dominant uh, in parts of his career. Um, if he can become something uh, different and, and rely on that those secondary pitches as his new primary weapons, mm-hmm. I think this could be really fun to watch. Let's run through Felix. Just in 2019 for the Mariners, he was 1-8 and eight with an ERA of 6.40. Fielding independent pitching backed that up as well. It was right at 6. Only 15 starts last year as well as he dealt with a lat injury, and this was the last year of a $175 million contract extension he signed with the Mariners in 2013. So he has been well compensated for his many great years out in Seattle. But uh, one thing that's eluded him is he has never had a chance to pitch in the postseason. So I think that's something that might have excited him about joining a club like Atlanta that has obviously the team in place to challenge for another division title and get themselves back into October and hopefully go further this time. But as you brought up, I mean, it was his changeup has been an elite pitch for a number of years, but even that has regressed in recent years. And part of that, I think, is tied to the fact that his fastball velocity is no longer where it was. And his, I guess, reliance on what has worked in the past, that is, Corey, going to have to change, I think, for him to kind of, as you mentioned, reinvent himself in a way that he's still got some weapons. But will he be able to, you know, keep a lineup off balance three times through and and get himself into the middle to later innings if he can to be a viable starting pitching option for anybody, let alone the Braves, but uh, just trying to get his career back on track. So I'm interested to see what kind of changes he does make because the fastball is now down to, what, high 80s, about 88, 89 on the average fastball velocity, and his changeup had been kind of close to that velocity throughout his big, you know, uh, huge years that he was having with the Seattle Mariners. So he's going to have to command the fastball, I think, more than anything. And perhaps pitching a little bit up in the zone is one thing that I was looking at that might help him out some in order to make that change up a little bit more lethal by moving it around a little bit and changing what the hitters might have become accustomed to. Because everybody can watch video now. Everybody can watch the tape. He's going to have to come up with, uh, I guess, a new act, if you will. So there was a point where the difference between his fastball and his changeup was 10 miles an hour. Yeah. So he would go from 98.5 to 88 miles an hour. And last year, that was a, there was a five-mile-an-hour difference between yeah. those. Yeah, and I thought it was lower than that. Yeah, I mean, so it's got mean, to change, right? But, uh, again, I, I do wonder how much he just couldn't do that in Seattle. And, you know, there, I mean, we talk about, I love using that, you know, weighted, weighted runs above average for these pitches. And there was a point where that changeup was 23.2. Yeah. That, I mean, that's how dominant that pitch was. So um, I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, what, you know, and I, I hate going back using him and Hamels uh, together like this, but if you can get a guy like him and think about this with Anibal Sanchez on a minor league deal that comes into your camp and you can help to get him back on track, that's so much more palatable than $18 million for a guy that you don't know where he's at at this point in his career. So if they end up getting more out of Felix Hernandez than they do out of Hamels, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but man, I mean, if you had to put your odds on whether you're going to get a consistent dominant season out of Hamels, or if a guy who's got a Cy Young in his back pocket can reinvent himself uh, in this system, I mean, where are you leaning? I would lean towards Cole Hamels just based on the fact that he's had at least enough success recently to be a pitcher who, you know, you would factor into your plans. Whereas Hernandez, this is not just like one bad year. We're looking at about three years in a row of regression and also some injury and things that have come into play for him. But, you know, I I would lean on Hamels a little bit more than I would on Hernandez. And I think that that is kind of, you know, bears out in which one signed a major league deal, regardless of how much money was in it Mm -hmm. and which one had to sign a minor league deal in order to get himself back into camp. But it's a worthwhile flyer. I mean, this is the kind of chance you want to take. And I know lots of folks, I mean, and it's obvious because you'd like to get the production out of the guys that you're paying. But sometimes, many times, for every team in baseball, you're going to have to get those guys you didn't expect to produce in order to make up for, you know, underperformance, regression, and attrition that you have, especially in a pitching staff over the course of a big league season. We've seen this Braves franchise do this with so many different guys, though. Yeah. Think about Aaron Harang, you know, re- finding his his groove again. You know, Trevor Cahill, like yeah. all these guys just go on and on and on. And I, Sanchez is obviously the most recent example of this, but they've had success in helping these guys, you know, recapture something 
um, it, it's going to be fun to watch, man. This is, this is one of the best storylines in camp and it just, it gets that much better with the fact that, you know, there's two spots right now seemingly in this rotation until Hamels can show that he's ready to go in, in full. So um, it, it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I don't want to get too prospect heavy, but I do want to kind of wrap up by talking about a more of a rapid fire fashion, the other guys that are in camp that could get the opportunity to compete for that fifth starter spot, but feel like they might be likely to go back to Gwinnett and get some work done. And that in particular is Ian Anderson. He reached Gwinnett last year, didn't have a ton of success there, wasn't exactly you know humming at the same rate that he was in AA Mississippi, but he's a guy that you have to have your eye on because if he gets on a roll in AAA Gwinnett, the question is not if Ian Anderson is going to factor in. The question may become when, especially if an injury happens. But he's not the only guy. I mean, I've mentioned Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson. Both of those guys put together very respectable AAA seasons. And then you brought up some of the other names, Tuki Toussaint. And, and I'll throw on just in the 40-man as you look at Phil Pfeiffer, who I think is more of a relief prospect at this point, uh, Waskari Noah, Patrick Weigel, Jaciel De La Cruz, and then, of course, Kyle Muller is going to be in big league camp as well. So we're talking about all of these young guys and one of the most intriguing prospects who may not have been on everybody's radar prior to last year, and that's left-hander Tucker Davidson. So really, we're looking at a large stable of young arms who could factor in in some point or at some point in some way to Atlanta's plans in 2020. And options after options, right? And I think, you know, with Ian Anderson, 135 and two-thirds innings last year, 119 the third of the inning the year before that. So they're trending him, you know, towards, uh, you know, these large workloads. Mm -hmm. um, if I had to put my money on which one of these young guys is going to be the first one we see up, I think it's still it, – he still has the best chance to be that guy. Really? Um, you, you mentioned Weigel, and, you know, I think he's just profiles to me as a – He's just so big, and you know that arm is so uh, so potent. I think he is a fantastic bullpen option. Sure. Um, I you know I, I I don't know you know we had a time period, and I hate to go on a on a tangent here, but you know, we had that run where it was okay. Uh, Aaron Blair and um, you know Matt Whistler are the top tier of arms in this system, and, and we saw Jenkins. another wave come in and kind of surpass them. And now, now we have Ian Anderson, Kyle Muller, those guys are on their way. Are we going to see Bryce Wilson and Tuki Toussaint get overpassed? I, that's, that's a, I think it's, it's an interesting debate because we've not seen them, when they've had opportunities, we've not seen them fully take advantage of them. Kyle Wright, I think we need to get a longer look at him. I think he you know, has obviously fantastic potential. Um, but I, I do wonder in some way whether or not um, we're running into those that same potential with Whistler Blair where we saw guys get passed over. Uh, with some of these arms that just haven't come up and had everything clicked for them. Yeah, and hey, all the arms aren't going to hit. and Not everybody's going no. to become a major league starter, a viable major league starter. But some of these guys, I think, can factor in in the bullpen, whether that's Enoa or Weigel or some of the others that you mentioned. And there's not really, at this point, as you mentioned, that wave that was coming behind some of the arms that we're already accustomed to. Triple-A Gwinnett's rotation is going to be pretty darn good and also pretty fascinating to figure out what five guys are going to be in the rotation who might have to end up in almost like a piggybacking role or who might end up just trying out being a reliever for a little while as well. Uh, I'd still look at, at Kyle Wright as kind of my uh, dark horse, if you will, who can come into spring training and could prove a lot. And I think has the potential, has the skills, you know, the stuff to become a great major league starting pitcher. There's a reason why he was taken as a top 10 pick by the Braves a couple of years ago. And it hasn't been that long. And as a college arm and a guy with a pedigree coming out of Vanderbilt, I really do feel like he's a guy that if I'm looking at the fifth starter spot, that's someone I'd want to figure out if he can fill that role. But the, the competition, there's a lot of it, as we just talked about it. You got a guy in Felix Hernandez that has a better resume than any pitcher coming to Braves camp, but the last couple of years have not been kind to him. So a lot of fascinating stories, Corey, that we'll be watching throughout spring training and a lot of names we just got through in order to kind of preview the 2020 Braves rotation and guys that might factor in at some point, whether it's this year, or in the future, pitching rich, man. That's that they've they've been it. They will stay it. And uh, you know, this we like I said, we've seen Freed, we've seen Soroka come up, and Soroka in particular establish himself. It's I just can't wait to see which one of these guys is going to come up and be next because it's uh, we've we've watched these names progress for so many years, and just can't wait to see which one of them uh, really comes up and locks a spot down. Yeah, looking forward to that. And also, of course, I feel like the Braves are 
perhaps just trying to find the right trade to make. And some of these guys could be the chips that make an impact bat or an impact arm come on into Atlanta and join a club that's ready to contend at the major league level and take that next step as well. So being pitching rich is uh, more good than bad, I'll tell you that. And the Braves are happy to be where they are in terms of having all the arms they're bringing to camp this year as they try to figure out how to chart a course through the 2020 season that will lead them back to October. And, of course, a couple of series deeper, let's say, into October as well. Corey, I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to sizing up the bullpen next with you when we uh, give this thing another shot. But this was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Grant. Once again, my thanks to Corey McCartney for checking in. He is the author of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout. Find it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble as well. Make sure you follow Corey's work over at Talking Chop, and you can follow him on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. So my thanks to him, and my thanks to you for tuning in to this episode of From the Diamond. We got the starting rotation done. Next up, a look at the Atlanta Braves bullpen and part two of this five-part series. Make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Keep those ratings and reviews coming. I do appreciate them. On social media, find the show on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley on Twitter, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. On Instagram, the show is at From the Diamond, and I'm at Grant McCauley there as well. And check out the Braves positional preview series at FromTheDiamond.com. That'll wrap us up for part one of this five-part series. We'll be back with part two. That'll be the Atlanta Braves bullpen coming your way very soon. For Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley, and we will catch you next time. So long, everyone.